listening to episode five of the Ozark Explorer. Today's episode centers around the Bald Knobbers, not the Branson Comedy Review. Actually, the hist- history of the actual Bald Knobbers from Taney County and Christian County, um, specifically back in the late 1800s following the Civil War. Um, it's a very fascinating story. Um, a couple things before it starts um, that I don't talk about in the episode I want to address beforehand. Um, I don't spend any time talking about um, the Bald Knobbers in relation to the Branson show or the uh, rides at a similar city that related to them or the, or the Shepherd of the Hills and things like that. I'm trying to vary away from those. Those are kind of known things. So more spending time about the actual Bald Knobbers and the actual history of them, um, which is less known and more interesting, in my opinion. Um, but that's today's episode. Um, the third part of the Springfield 3 series is coming. It's going to be an interview with... An investigative journalist that's close to the case has been following that case for a while, so I keep a lookout on that. I have not done with that, but it is going to take a little bit longer to get that one out. Um, um, again, thanks to uh, Frank Norton, who did artwork for this episode. Um, also, the music you're hearing is uh, by a local group called Clawhammer, um, which is a song they wrote about Anyways, here's the episode. Taney, Christian, and Douglas counties are known geographically as the White River Hills, which itself is, of course, part of the larger tri-state region of the Ozarks. The White River Hills region has a lot of rocky hills and slopes that envelop the White River. There are also lots of buttes of limestone that protrude from the earth's surface to form small hills that typically lack trees near the summit. These hills are referred to as bald knobs or just bald knobs. This should give you a better idea of where the bald knobbers' goofy names come from. Alfred Cook, a famous guerrilla leader who operated in southwest Missouri, lived in Taney County before the Civil War. While many were choosing sides, Cook tried, to be- tried his best to remain neutral. However, Cook was born in the South and owned slaves, and he became a target for Unionists in the county. They fled to Arkansas in search of refuge, but tensions were escalating everywhere. Cook and a dozen like-minded men decided they would band together to protect themselves as well as seek vengeance. As the war waned, Cook and his band launched a series of raids against the Unionists, eventually drawing the attention of federal authorities. In 1865, um, Lieutenant Willis Kissy was dispatched with 25 men to take down Cook and his men. They learned, using information obtained from Cook's son, that they would hide in a cave nearby. Kissy had the cave surrounded and asked Cook and his men to surrender, and 9 of 14 obliged. Cook and the rest of the men refused, so Kissy had a fire built on the ledge above the mouth of the cave. Uh, burning timber would be thrown down in front of the cave to smoke the men out. As the men emerged, Kissy granted them their southern roads, r- southern rights, quote-unquote, and meaning they shot them dead. The federal soldiers buried them a short distance away. This kind of guerrilla warfare was known as bushwhacking and was rampant throughout southwest Missouri um, during the end of the Civil War. It was a brutal, personal fight and had tremendous impact on the lives of everyone that lived through it in numerous ways. Uh, the war had forced large numbers of farmers to leave the region, ha- um, halting agricultural production. Uh, so before the war, Taney County had uh, roughly 12,600 acres of farmland versus the 3,800 they had at the end. Those remaining at home were frequently robbed and faced starvation. Thousands were driven from their homes. Aside from the deprivation and displacement, there was a dramatic increase in crime and general lawlessness in post-war southwest Missouri. 
The years following the war had been described as a reign of terror, quote-unquote. Many of the criminals were bushwhackers who had military experience using skills they learned in the war to become outlaws. The advent of outlaws and lawlessness is what inspired many law-abiding citizens to turn to vigilante justice in response to the lack of control from authorities. There are 229 documented lynchings in the history of Missouri, and 112 of those occurred in the 20 years following the Civil War. Citizens forms, uh, formed vigilante committees like Honest Men's League, um, Anti-Horse Thief Associations, or Regulators. These vigilante groups provided residents a glimpse of the turbulent years that would follow during the 1880s. The Bald Knobbers first organized in Forsyth, the seat of Taney County, sometime between 1884 and 1885. During this time, Americans were likely to solve community problems with collective violence and vigilantism. Vigilante groups were forming in response to the social disorder brought on by the Civil War. The demise of slavery in the South meant that the structure that built their society was dismantled, leading to nefarious groups like the Ku Klux Klan that wanted to overthrow the Reconstructionist government and saw by the North. Members would defend their participation by comparing themselves to other vigilante groups, even though the largely political goals of the KKK clearly designate them as a terrorist organization. The Taney County Bald Knobbers fit a basic template for vigilantism. Most of their rank and file consisted of people with middle-class backgrounds, such as lawyers, merchants, businessmen, and even political office holders. The Ozarks were um, seeing immigration from northern states and making matters worse for Confederate sympathizers. Nathaniel Kinney came to Taney County from Kansas and would become the chieftain of the Bald Knobbers. Kinney fought for the Union during the Civil War in the 6th West Virginia Infantry, before moving to Taney County, he was a well-traveled man living all around the U.S., um, even living here in Springfield, Missouri, where he worked as a saloon keeper at a particularly violent local saloon on the square. While most bald knobbers were supporters of the Republican Party, Kenny himself identified with the Democrats, although this alignment would be tested upon his arrival in Taney County. Kenny found when first moving to Taney County that they were $42,000 in debt, and as described in the uh, Springfield Weekly Republican in May of 1889, they had not even a plank to show for it. The money had simply been stolen. This burden would become one of the larger reasons for the bald numbers' dissatisfaction with the democratic regime running the local government. The debt problem, however, would be eclipsed by the tremendous crime problem in the years to come. In the 20 years following the war, there were between 30 and 40 murders with no one punished for any of them. Property theft, primarily that of, li of livestock, was widespread at this time. Um, the Taylor gang worked the hills of Taney County. The Taylor family had settled in Taney County at Nubbin Ridge, a hill a few miles uh, from Forsyth. This gang was led by the brothers Frank and Tubal and engaged in mostly petty crimes. They would often flaunt their disregard for the law by spreading their cash all around Forsyth, going into bars, paying for everyone's drinks, things like that. Um, the Taylors were one of the several aspects of life at this time. Um, that the men who would create the ball number group could not tolerate, and they only needed a spark to push them into action. The murder of James M. Everett would be that spark. Everett was a prominent merchant in the liquor business, owning a store in Forsyth that housed a billiard hall and a saloon. They sold a type of whiskey called Forty Rod, which was extremely potent. On um, the day of the murder, Albert Layton and his friend Sam Hall went into Everett's establishment to drink and play games. Uh, their playing turned into brawling, and in the heat of the moment, Layton went to grab his revolver before Everett intervened. Everett threw him out onto the porch outside. Spectators gathered, both urging Layton to give up and for Everett to relent. Everett let him go, and Layton stood up, dusted himself off, and, without warning, fired two shots at Everett, killing him instantly. He fired at Everett's brother and then ran to his horse and took off. Layton surrendered later on to Sheriff Mosley and posted bond. 
The reason Leighton turned himself in rather than run was that the Leighton family was one of the oldest and best-known Taney County families. His cousin was an office holder and prosecutor and sheriff were family friends, as well as political allies. Uh, local juries often acquitted criminals for this reason, having to, re uh, having to consider the consequences of having to live beneath and amongst their relatives. Leighton would be indicted with his trial set to take place a year after the shooting in 1884. During that time, Newton Harrell killed a man named Amos Ring, who had begun living with Harrell's widowed mother. This arrangement would affect his mother's reputation in the community, and this sent Harrell to his mother's home to confront Amos. The argument between the men escalated when Ring went to retrieve a, wo a wood from his stove with the intention to punish Harrell, who instead seized the opportunity and drew his revolver and shot Amos Ring down. The combined murders of both Everett and Ring only increased the growing disdain the residents had for the larger problems of Flickentaney County. Friends of Everett looked to the trial as a test to see if the courts could sustain the law and punish the guilty. Leighton was determined not guilty for the murder of James Everett, which incited charges of foul play. This would have a significant impact in the upcoming elections, which would result in most of the Democratic officeholders to be voted out, including James K. Polk McAfee defeating Sheriff Mosley, who would soon join the bald numbers. More directly, in the aftermath of the Leighton trial, several citizens began meeting about the possibility of forming a vigilance committee. This meeting took place in Forsyth, in the store previously owned by James Everett. Nathaniel Kinney chaired the meeting, and a series of resolutions were drawn up and signed, establishing the Committee for Law and Order. The primary goal was to assist local enforcement in their duties. There were no rules concerning masks that the bald numbers would come to be known by, and were rarely even worn by the Taney County chapter of the bald numbers. Um, that was something that was more um, in, in line with the Christian County ball numbers, but more of them later. Um, instead, they wore a small badge that read stand up for the Taney County Law and Order. Now, the first large-scale meeting took place in a large treeless ridge called Snaps Bald. It was used because it was provided a clearer view of the surrounding area in case of potential spying or ambush. A total of about 100 men gathered on this hill, and Kenny addressed the crowd giving what was called a, quote, Blood-stirring oration over the bloody shirt of J.M. Everett. Um, there isn't an exact transcript for the speech, but it supposedly ended with, uh, What will become of our sons and daughters, our lives, our property, and our liberty are at stake? I appeal to you as citizens of Taney County to say what we, shall, what we shall do. Shall we organize ourselves into a vigilant committee and see that when crimes are committed, the laws are enforced? Or shall we sit down and fold our arms and quietly submit? Men in the crowd shouted, boy, she pops, which was a common colloquial phrase among the Hill folk at the time and would replace the traditional I in future ball number meetings. The first public act concerning the ball numbers occurred shortly after in April of 1885 in Forsyth. Late in the evening, around midnight, upwards of 100 men rode into town surrounding the county jail with the intention to take, it from, take from it the prisoner Newton Harrell, who was still awaiting trial for Amos Ring's murder. Harold began to shout for help when he heard the commotion, and the ball numbers demanded the keys, but were denied by Sheriff McAfee, himself a member of the ball numbers. The writers backed down, but not before entering the courthouse and placing a noose on the judge's bench. McAfee's denial of the writers demonstrates that the ball numbers had not yet reached a consensus about how to punish criminals, and that from very early on there existed a conflict amongst the leadership. It's also possible it was staged to scare, scare Harold rather than lynch him, but regardless... The judge granted Harrell a continuance and sent him to Greene County, where he would escape and promptly disappear. He would be found two years later in Golden City, Missouri. Um, even though the first ball number raid was mostly uneventful, it sent a message that the vigilantes intended to bring change to Cheney County and that the existing lawlessness would not be tolerated. 
And the next ball number demonstration of force came soon after. Uh, on the same day of the ball numbers attempted lynching, Frank Taylor of the Notorious Taylor Gang visited John T. Dickinson's general store just a few miles northeast of Forsyth near present-day Taneyville. Taylor tried to purchase some boots on credit, but because Dickinson had already extended credit to Taylor without repayment, he refused. An argument ensued, and Taylor left, wrecking the store before walking out. The next day, Dickinson, a recently inducted bald number, set out to Forsyth to call for an indictment against Taylor on the charge of disturbing the peace. Taylor was indicted, but posted bond to secure his release. Frank and his brother Tubal would return to the Dickinson store a few days later, bringing a large black snake whip with the intention of horsewhipping the storekeeper for having him indicted. Entering the store, Frank seized Mr. Dickinson by the throat and in the struggle pulled his revolver and fired a shot into Dickinson's mouth, knocking out several teeth and part of his jawbone. Mrs. Dickinson tried to intervene and in a further commotion, four more shots were fired, wounding both Mr. Dickinson and his wife. Neither suffered fatal wounds, however. A manhunt followed, several hundred strong. Hundred strong. After learning that their victims survived the skirmish, the Taylor brothers turned themselves in, likely assuming that they could win an acquittal just as Leighton had done. They could also have decided this would be the best way to avoid the path of the bald numbers. Uh, another story suggests that the brothers had enlisted some friends um, to hand them over so that they could share the reward after they posted bail. Either way, the brothers underestimated the situation they found themselves in. On April 10th, the boys were locked up in county jail, and that evening, up to 100 bald numbers rode into Forsyth and surrounded the jail, just as they had done to Harold. This time around, no one stopped them. They took some sledgehammers and battered down the door to the jail and drug the Taylor brothers out. Taylor brothers begged for their lives as the bald numbers rode them out of town. The following morning, their bodies were discovered hanging from an oak tree a few miles south um, outside of Forsyth. On Tubal's shirt was a placard reading, Beware. These are the victims of the wrath of outraged citizens. More will follow the bald numbers. The lynching of Frank and Tubal Taylor set off an unpredictable chain of events, including the emergence of a rival organization opposed to the bald numbers, escalating violence and intervention from the state government. After the lynching of the Taylor brothers, some members of the Bald Numbers began to have doubts about the integrity and direction of the group, some members even quitting altogether. The rest of the Bald Numbers would have meetings regarding the general sentiment of the public, but the lynching only brought more recruits as most of their neighbors approved of the lynching. The Bald Numbers began their attempt to purge Taney County of criminals and find in anyone that they considered undesirable. No one knows the precise number of people driven out of Taney County by the Bald Numbers, but it was likely hundreds. Uh, their method of eviction consisted of a nighttime visit to the victim's home. The riders might fire a few shots into the air, give a stern warning to flee or face consequences, and then leave a bundle of hickory switches at the doorstep of the evictee. The number of switches left indicated the number of days they had to leave. The subsequent events following this new campaign led the ball numbers in new directions, using their power to incite fear as a method of coercion. They would run off those who might testify against a fellow ball number, um, they would destroy property, bring harm to animals, and other reprehensible acts. They even ran out uh, a justice of peace in Oliver Township simply because he wasn't a ball nubber. Um, this group that once aimed to assist law enforcement now aimed to control the entire county. The next significant event in the history of the ball nubbers involved Nathaniel Kinney and a young hellion named Andrew Cogburn, who made it a habit to disrupt Kinney's Sunday school service. On one morning in 1885, someone left a coat in the church containing a placard marked with a skull and crossbones, which read, Captain Kinney's. Additionally, a miniature coffin was found out, um, with buckshot inside and a note reading, To Old Kinney, Death is His Favorite Role. Cogburn took it a step further by attending the church the same morning the items were found, which caused Kinney to remark, pointing him out among the congregation, that he will need a box before I do. 
Cogburn was not deterred. In fact, he took the rivalry a step further by composing a satirical song called The Ballad of the Ball Knobbers, which was set to the tune of My Name is Charles Gateau. One of the verses specifically referenced Kenny. There is one big ball nubber whose name I will expose. His name is Nat N. Kenny, and he wears his federal clothes. He tries to boss the people and make them do his will. There's some that does not fear him, but others mind him still. And just when the tensions between the ball nubbers and rising anti-ball nubbers um, factions didn't seem like they could rise any higher, the Taney County, County Courthouse was burned down mysteriously. Blame was cast against either side. And making matters even worse was the murder of Mac Dimmick, a mentally challenged man from Marionville, and the bald numbers assigned the guilt for this crime against a member of the Taylor family. Around the time of the Dimmick murder, Nathaniel Kenny shot down Andrew Cogburn outside of the schoolhouse. The sequence of events greatly differed depending on who you talk to. The pro bald number version suggests that Kenny suspected Cogburn meant to ambush him, at which time Kenny drew his revolver and called for the men to raise their hands. Cogburn stepped into the light, attempted to raise his left hand, and draw his revolver with the other. Kenny then shot him. This version is doubted based on the fact that Kenny and his men arrived heavily armed to begin with. Um, the anti-bald number crowd suggested it wasn't self-defense, but it was cold-blooded murder. Sam Snap, the only, the only anti-bald number present, recalled that he and Cogburn was, were leaving service when they came upon Kenny. Cogburn called out to Kenny, asking, How are you, Cap? And which is when Kenny drew his weapon, commanding them to throw up their hands. Cogburn did as he was told, and Kenny shot him down, exclaiming, Oh, I'm killed. Um, Snap claimed that Cogburn had no weapon and that the gun was planted on his body after the fact. Um, it's hard to really say. I mean, it's hard to say exactly what happened. Um, I, I'm more um, leaning towards that something somewhere in the middle that maybe um, I'm assuming Cogburn probably was actually armed. So the general sentiment seems to be that everyone was armed around this time um, just for the general lawlessness and the fact that um, Cogburn was constantly um um, directly antagonizing the ball numbers. Um, but Cogburn, I, I don't, th I, I don't think necessarily was violent. I, he, I think he's more just a young kind of hooligan, but, um, either way, I think maybe it was, uh, uh Cogburn's, um, penchant for an antagonism and matched with, um, Kenny probably a little preemptively, um, aggressive against, um, Cogburn maybe noticing the gun, even if Cogburn hadn't reached for it. Regardless, the death of Cogburn led to a rise of an actual organized anti-ball number group seeking to end vigilante justice through protest, protest, agitation, and threat of violence. Because of the heavy favor of ball numbers in Taney County newspapers, anti-ball numbers pleaded their cause in Springfield as well as other parts of the state. The group also petitioned the governor of Missouri, John S. Marmaduke, to intervene on their behalf. They wanted to establish a militia in order to protect themselves against the ball numbers. Governor Marmaduke um, decided to send General James Jameson to observe the situation in Taney County. Jameson arrived in, fourth of, in April of 1886, meeting with both sides. Jameson delivered a speech before the people of Forsyth, say, saying that the state government intended to enforce obedience to the civil law in Taney County and urged the prompt disbandment of the Citizens Committee, otherwise known as the Bald Lovers. During the course of the meeting with the groups, he received a promise from Kenny as well as other leaders to disband the ball numbers. This promise basically came under threat of militia involvement from the state, and Jameson assured that the state would just let it drop if they disbanded then. Taney County ball numbers disbanded on April 10th in 1886 on the public square of Forsyth. The effectiveness of the public dissolution was doubted by many, but was reinforced when the trial of William Taylor for the murder of Mac Dimmick went on unimpeded by the ball numbers. 
Many had feared that this would take that they would take matters in their own hands, and um, just as they had lynched the Taylor brothers a year earlier. But the saying goes, the night is always darkest before the dawn, and that's true in the case of the Taney County ball knobbers. Sam Snap, the man who watched Kenny shoot Andrew Cogburn, was shot down by George Washington Middleton, a.k.a. Wash, who was the frequent bodyguard for Nathaniel Kenny. Essentially, Wash got into an argument with Snap, calling him a bushwhacker, which is a little silly since Snap was young enough that there was no way he could have served in the war to begin with, and culminated with Wash firing three shots at Snap, killing him. This set off another round of anti-ball number protests, as well as further tarnishing any goodwill remaining with the supposedly defunct group. Wash was found guilty of murder, but escaped from the county jail and fled to Arkansas. While Kenny predicted that Wash would remain uncaptured, Wash would spend the last eight months of his life on, on the run. Uh, a posse led by Charles Richardson caught up with him in February of 1888, but Wash managed to kill Richardson in the ensuing gunfight and escape. In the summer, however, Wash was shot down by the county sheriff after resisting arrest. A temporary lull and hostility between the rival groups started around this time. Now, while the troubles for ball numbers in Taney County were falling into a somewhat truce, the notorious reputations of the ball number factions in neighboring counties were escalating. Um, the ball number cha um, chapters in Douglas and specifically Christian County involved from the um, original group in Taney. While the ball numbers in Taney tended to be comprised of the middle class, the northern vigilantes were mostly poor and less socially prominent, having a dimmer perception of the economic changes in the Ozark. Um, these groups were also more religiously devout and would use vigilantism to regulate the morals of their neighbors. The Christian County ball numbers were led by Dave Walker and his son William Walker, also known as Billy. Uh, the first recorded act of violence by this group took place in July of 1886 when a group of masked ball numbers drugged um, E.P. Helms, a 34-year-old homesteader with a wife and six children, um, out of his home and put a rope around his neck and whipped him severely, warning him to leave the county. Helms did no such thing, but was convinced by his second visit and took his family to Springfield. Some of the ball numbers claimed they whipped him for adultery, but Helms said it was because he had testified against ball numbers in court. Um, he'd also refused to sell land to a ball number named Amos, named Amos Jones, and because Helms had cut timber on his own land to make railroad ties. Helm's wife indicated that the bald knobber had warned him not to steal anybody's timber but his own, suggesting that he thought um, he thought he had been stealing. A man named Greenwalker, who was known as a polygamist, also drew the attention of these bald numbers as well, who whipped and beat him for his supposed misconduct. Walker chose to remain also, um, but ultimately left the area after a return visit from the masked riders. Now, um, the Christian County ball numbers would also target men who abused their families or otherwise neglected them. They would also target those who made a public nuisance of themselves or disturbed the peace. Um, Dave Walker led a band of 40 ball numbers into Chadwick, Missouri, into a saloon they condemned for promoting all kinds of various acts they found morally corrupt. Um, the first night, they ran several people out and busted up the place. On the second night, however, they, um, resulted in a lively shootout which drove the ball numbers out of town. Um, there was never an organized anti-ball number outfit as there was in Taney, but people would often speak out against them in Christian County. This, of course, was not re well received by the masked men who would often meet their critics with violence. Uh, a man named William Eans got into a scuffle with the group when they came looking for his relative, John Evans. The ball numbers were looking for Evans because he had reportedly shown up drunk at a one uh, Sunday worship service, disrupting it. When the vigilantes came to whip him, Eans tried to protect him by jumping between Evans and the men whipping him. He was hit with a few licks before Dave Walker yelled at them, yelled at them to stop. Um, Eans began to hate the group and frequently made himself heard in the community. Eans boasted that if the writers tried to whip him, they would return the next morning to count their dead. 
The ball numbers caught wind, and Dave and his son Billy led a group to Eden's home, dragging him out of his house in the middle of the night, stripping him naked, and tying him to an oak tree. They then beat him bloody with sticks and switches. The group of ball numbers in Christian County were seen as fanatical even by the group from Taney County, unhappy with their obsession in regulating the private lives of the neighbors. Uh, the Christian County vigilantes seemed less interested in preserving law and order and would rather pursue a more righteous society. Uh, March 11th, 1887 is the pivotal event in the history of the Christian County ball numbers that would turn the power of a public opinion and the weight of local and state authorities against the vigilantes. James Eden, uh, Eden's father of William Eden's, who had been run out of town by the ball numbers, lived in northwest Christian County in, in a small one-room cabin. James had two of his adult children staying with him, and his daughter had recently given birth to a child who had just gone through a bout with the measles. Her husband, Charles Green, had taken her and their children there to stay with her parents to nurse him back to health. This evening, James Eden stayed up to about 10 p.m. His son, William, had come to visit along with his wife, Emma, which angered Billy Walker, who had vowed revenge on the Edens. Elsewhere, um, that same night, Billy Walker and a group of about a dozen men found themselves near William Eden's home. They entered the home and found he was absent. They decided to go to his father's house and took the rest of the group, including Dave Walker, by surprise. He called out to the boys, commanding them to hold up, but they either didn't hear or ignored him. Um, the group surrounded the house and yelled for William to come out. William woke and shouted to his father that the ball numbers were there. They were scrambling for weapons when someone shattered the window and fired three shots into the cabin. The two doors on the, um, the house crashed open and men surged inside, three grabbing James Edens. Um, James was able to break loose long enough to fire a shot from his pistol, hitting Billy Walker in his leg. Someone swung an axe at his head, which he almost avo mostly avoided, still suffering a glancing bow to his head. Um, another uh, shot was fired, ripping through the side of James's neck, and, and he lost consciousness immediately and did not wake up until the next morning. Um, one of the masked men ordered William to raise his hands, and he complied. As he did, however, uh, Wiley Matthews shot him in the back with a shotgun at point-blank range. As he fell to the floor, another man shot him in the back of the head with a rifle. Another man shot Charles Greens in the side of his head, and Melvina jumped out of, the, uh, jumped out of bed and managed to deflect the muzzle of a gun as it was fired, but the bullet tore off the tip of her little finger. Ball numbers quickly exited with Willie Walker firing, Billy Walker firing one more shot into the cabin before retreating. These tragic events only lasted a few minutes, but significantly changed the course of the bald number movement. Uh, the once righteous defenders of law had become a group of murderers and outlaws. A harsh response followed from local authorities who aggressively set out to track down those responsible. The grand jury indicted 16 people that they found responsible for the deaths of Edens and Green, but they also looked at other vigilante-related crime. This resulted with 250 charges against 80 people. Sheriff Johnson um, managed to round up nearly all the parties suspected of taking part in the murder. 26 vigilantes were arrested in connection with the shootings. Um, because, of the connection, because of the confessions of some of the other writers, Billy Walker, Dave Walker, Wiley Matthews, and John Matthews were sentenced to death. Now, John and Wiley managed to escape while waiting for decisions on their appeals, but John nearly froze to death being older and, um, however, was turned over to authorities when he was found hiding out in a farmer's land. Um, Wiley Matthews actually did successfully escape, however, um, returning to Christian County decades later under a false name. Um, so Billy, Dave, and John were all scheduled to hang on the same day, and the execution itself went terribly wrong. Uh, John Matthews' execution went according to plan. His neck broke on the first drop, and he died quickly. The length of Dave Walker's rope was misjudged, and he was left dangling with his feet on the ground trying to push himself up. Um, Billy's rope had come undone completely. <clears throat> Um, falling to his knees, moaning in agony, spitting out blood and phlegm into his hood. 
After rehanging Dave Walker, they tried to do the same for Billy, whose noose slipped entirely off his head and he fell to the ground, gro- groaning in pain, um, begging God to end his suffering. It was a, a terrible, awful, ghastly scene. Um, they pronounced the death of both John and Dave Walker before rehanging Billy, and once again, Billy's neck failed to break when he dropped through, and he slowly strangled to death over the next 16 minutes. The scene had a sobering effect on everyone present. Um, essentially, Billy had been... Um, execution had taken over 30 minutes to complete. And thus ends the story of the Christian County Bald Lovers, essentially. But the end of the Bald Lovers, Taney County, was not quite finished. Um, Kenny was working in a general store Monday, August 20th, 1888. Um, that morning, Billy and James Miles walked inside to get a drink from the water barrel there. Uh, William Beeman was the only bystander. At some point, an argument developed, and Kenny ordered the men to leave. Billy Miles refused. Uh, Kenny went for his gun, but Billy got to his faster and fired a shot into his forearm. He then fired three more rounds in rapid succession, killing him instantly. Kenny's last words reportedly were, uh, Billy Miles, you damn son of a bitch, I'm going to kill you. <clears throat> Billy reloaded his pistol and went outside, announcing that he had killed Nat Kenny in self-defense. He turned himself in and posted bond, however. It was noteworthy that the numerous co-signers for his bond were known as anti-baldnobbers which provided fodder for those of Kenny's friends that believed his death was a planned assassination. Ed Funk came to Taney County from Eureka Springs, supposedly paid to kill Billy Miles. <coughs> There's no evidence to support this theory, but there isn't really a good explanation otherwise for Funk's appearance in Taney altogether. On July 4th, 1889, Ed Funk attended a picnic near Kirbyville. Sheriff Galba Branson and three of Miles' brothers were also there. Around Four or five in that afternoon, the brothers went down to a nearby spring for water. Sheriff Branson and Funk followed, ostensibly to arrest them for carrying concealed weapons. Funk walked up to Miles and drew his pistol asked if, and asked if uh, Billy was carrying a pistol. Billy replied that he did, and Funk ordered him to surrender. Miles could not draw his weapon as Funk had the drop on him, but Billy's brothers had drawn their weapons, firing at Funk, killing him. Branson drew his revolver and began firing at James Miles. Uh, Billy shot the sheriff twice, killing him instantly. And so, basically, with that, the deaths of Nat Kenny, Galva Branson, and Ed Funk marked the end of the Ball Number era in Taney County. Um, as far as the image of the Ball Number, um, the, um, the image, uh, the most common today, and it was used in the 1919 film Shepherd of the Hills, um, and you'll see on display um, in Civil Dollar City and various locations in, um, in the South, um, is of the unusual mask with the horns. Um, this look was more common with the Christian County Ball Numbers rather than the original group of Taney County. Taney County ball numbers didn't really use uh, masks and things like that. And if they did wear masks, it was just to come on like a flower sack over their head. Um, but the mask itself was basically a blast mask. Uh, they were two stuffed horns on top where the corners would be of whatever kind of sack they were using. Um, but that's essentially the more significant aspects of the history of the ball numbers. There's a lot more you could read um, about them. That's a pretty, I, f- I feel like this is a pretty succinct um, but detailed uh, retelling of the history of the bald numbers. They're a very interesting group. Um, I'd always heard things about them being an anti-racial group, which is one of the uh, first things I'd people would mention was that oh, they're um, they're like the Ku Klux Klan except they're anti-racial. Um, but really, it was just because they had the mask. But um, I never uh, researching this episode. I hadn't really found anything that suggests um, that anti-racism was really a prominent. Um, part of the organization um for the most part um with taney county ball numbers especially it was more about law and order and fighting um 
uh, lawlessness and crime and uh, or those eventually as it became um, people that they seemed un- un- unfit for the county um, according to, to their rubric. Um, and the Christian county ball numbers uh, mostly seem just, uh, you know, like a, a group of thugs essentially. Um, I mean, for more or less, that's what they were. <clears throat> I do encourage uh, reading more about it, uh, kind of make up your own mind, but um, as far as I can see, it seems like it was a group that it started with mostly good intentions that um, rather quickly, you know, that's what happens when it's kind of an interesting look into vigil- the idea of vigilantism. Um, I mean, not to <laughs> draw um, a kind of comparison to like comic characters like Batman and things, but it's interesting to think about um, these actual examples of vigilantism when, when faced with the kind of lawlessness that you might find in comic books, which is why those um, some of those superheroes even exist. Um, and it's definitely a, a much different look, obviously not a modern look, but it's still very interesting. Um, there's all kinds of things you can read about it. Um, I've personally never seen the Branson show. I don't have, have any interest. I don't feel like it's for me anyway. Um, but as far as I could tell, those have nothing in common other than that they are both called the Paul Dobbers. Um, but tune in to the next episode. Um, I'm not exactly sure what it'll be. It might be the third part of the Springfield 3. Um, it could be, um, a couple other things I've been looking at, but hopefully, um, should be within the next week or so. Um, otherwise, thanks for listening. Like us on Facebook. Leave a review on iTunes. Share, etc., etc. Thanks.